From the bridge of the USS Enterprise, it's the Digigods. Now here's two men who always look good dressed in velour, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yes, a Star Trek reference for Mark's final show came to us from... That was sent in by Ian Lasky, who always dresses in velour even when he's not in a Star Trek costume. Yes. Why didn't you make a special open for me? <laughs> You're mean. Oh. It's the end of an era. I mean, uh, era. Yes. It's the end of an era. It's not. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, oh, so wah, wah. anyway, Mark. Yes. It's, it's gonna be a good show. We're gonna have a good show. We're gonna send you off with a bang. You've got a busy time ahead of you. You have. Uh, I you sell have, my car, Wade. Yeah. I so sell my car. Your work has stopped. You are no longer uh, living at your uh, your old place. You're you're crashing uh, around town. Your place is subletted, and you're out of here in less than a week. Uh, I'm going to New York. Going to New York. Then I'm going to. Yes. Uh, then you're going to Paris. Going to Paris for upwards of three. Oh, but oh, here's good. the thing. Yeah. The hope is for you know 89 days, so I get out before like there's any snafus with my yeah. passport. I'll get out in 89 days. But the hope is, is that if I'm still getting along with my girlfriend, maybe getting some nibbles for. The possibility sure. of work, maybe doing some successful networking. Yeah. I can maybe leave and, and return for another 90 days. That'd be great. Do That'd it. Great. If Lock not, up. I'll go to New York and try yep. to get some freelance work. And if that yeah. doesn't work, I'll come back to Los Angeles and yeah. get some freelance work. Well, Either way, we, it was time to have an adventure, and the, it, and the adventure begins. The adventure begins, and so not, it's never too late for an adventure. It's always good. So uh, with that, I mean, there's not really a lot of uh, no, there's some news going on, but we'll we'll cover them as we get to uh, some of these titles. Um, it's it's looking like I will say I'm, I'm, we're going to miss you for awards season because it's looking like a good fall. A lot of really, a lot of, yeah, it is. There's a lot of interesting stuff that's uh, we've already gotten a few interesting things in screeners. Our award screeners started to come early this year. They started. I, I in have September. gotten a couple. I have gotten yeah. a couple. September, and we don't normally get them in September. We normally get them, you know, early October at the earliest. Well, maybe they're finally so, wising up that they don't want to be they don't want to be caught in the avalanche and the scrum yeah. of screeners towards the end of the season, and then they get ignored. Yep, very true. And how many decades did it take for them to realize that little number? Too long, exactly. And, and they'll forget it by next year anyway. So, well, one of those films is uh, The Beguiled. And The Beguiled won uh, Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival, I think very deservedly. Uh, one of the most interesting things that Sofia Coppola has ever done, a film that I never would have expected to be as good as it is. It's gotten a little bit of uh, criticism for uh, effectively ignoring the fact that there are slaves in this story. Um, I'm, I'm going to be one of those people who is a little bit more forgiving of that in the sense that we have seen, because the book, you know, has slaves factor into the book. And uh, slavery is obviously something that you can't ignore when you're talking about the antebellum South. Uh, but what I appreciate in The Beguiled is that it doesn't um, – it, it, it is essentially a timeless story. The backdrop in many respects is sort of – I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but it's almost beside the point. What she wanted to do was uh, something very different from the original Clint Eastwood film, which was tell this story entirely from the point of view of the women – 
And so the Civil War does become a backdrop, but it is a timeless story. And those who don't know, there's a, you know, there's a northern soldier who's wounded, who's taken in uh, by this, you know, somewhere near the battlefield by this uh, all-girls school. And um, his presence there proves to be uh, stimulatory and disruptive at the same time. Colin Farrell playing the uh, Clint Eastwood part is tremendously good. And the cast is great. Uh, Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, and Elle Fanning are the, the three main characters. I think Kirsten Dunst is the most interesting of them in the sense that this is a very matronly-like part that she's never really played before. So she's trying to age herself into something very different. But um, Sofia Coppola's direction is superb. Uh, it is really, really well modulated. It is, uh, it's a very interesting film. And I, uh, I think if the, if the whole, you know, fuss and dust up about whether or not this is, uh, you know, ignoring the, 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 the era of slavery, whether or not it's intentionally doing that to, uh, to try to be a little bit more palatable, if that dies down, I think this will get some love during award season. It's, uh, it's a really sharp film. And uh, frankly, we've had so many slave-themed films in the last few years. I'm happy to sort of let that die down a little bit and television. I'd like, you know, I'm one of those people, I want to see black actors get work, but I want to see them get work not playing slaves for a change. That'd be nice. That's true. Yeah. So anyway, Beguiled, good film written for the screen and directed by Sofia Coppola on Blu-ray and DVD and Ultraviolet. Really worth checking out. Focus is going to have quite a year. They've got this, and then they also have Darkest Hour. It's going to be a big year for Focus, I think. Yeah. Yep. So Wade, uh, here's a recommended film that I can recommend because I'm yep. recommending it. The Ghoul. Now, The Ghoul is uh, EP'd by Ben Wheatley, who maybe you've heard of from uh, Free Fire, British he's, guy. He's wacky. He is wacky. He's a wacky, dark, nutty, sadistic, kind of comically... Uh, Twisted person. Well, he's he uh, he's putting his name on this because uh, he collaborates with the guy who created this film, Gareth Tunley. I love the name Gareth. When I have a child, which will never happen, I'm going to name the child Gareth, even though they'll they'll be American, um, or maybe French. Anyway, so uh, the ghoul is wants to be kind of a Lynchian thing, and uh, kind of goes halfway to achieving being a Lynchian thing. It stars. It's about a detective who uh, is a London detective. He's investigating a double murder, and there's something about the way that the two victims died that arouses his suspicions. So he goes and seeks out an old girlfriend um, and goes undercover to try to investigate the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the therapist of the suspect. I'm trying to be a little bit uh, coy on this. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you, it's, you know what it is? This guy, uh, Gareth uh, Tunley, it, this thing, he's got a great sense of mood. It's a cool little psychodrama. I was very surprised. I expected nothing. It seems like it, the ghoul is almost like a sounds either like a Japanese film or straight to DVD. But uh, it's a it's 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 bleak. It's poetic. It's uh, it's got a lot of decent scares in it. And uh, there's a lot going on in this film than you would think. And Arrow really knocks it out of the park. Um, with their release on Blu-ray, they got, uh, you know, it's high definition. They got a commentary from uh, Tunley, a couple of the actors. So I would highly recommend uh, The Ghoul. And then uh, we got a couple that are, I guess, okay. Uh, we're going to dive into some, we got a whole bunch of really amazing, uh, super cool stuff from classics we're going to cover here. Really great, some amazing stuff. Uh, but first we have 222. That's uh, like 2 o'clock and 22 minutes, which is the time 
at which this air traffic controller in New York uh, gets blasted with something, some kind of weird, strange, hypnotic, bright, uh, time-altering, brain-chilling something power. And every day at exactly 2.22 thereafter, uh, things happen to him and start to change his life. I won't give you any more than that because some of you are going to want to watch this, but it's uh, it's a genre film. It's not as clever as it thinks it is. It's okay. Uh, you know, not made with a great deal of money. They they kind of put this thing together on, on a shoestring, and it looks better than it really has any business looking. This is from Magnolia, definitely a um, from the Magnet line of Magnolia, which is their genre line. It's fine. And then All Eyes on Me, E-Y-E-Z. Uh, this is Clever. A, yeah, right. This is a Tupac uh, biopic, which is fine. Demetrius Ship uh, Jr. plays Tupac and does a pretty decent job of it, I got to say. For a guy who is, there's always a risk when you are portraying a real-life person who is so ubiquitous in media and was so well covered during their lives that we still know. It's like Kennedy, right? We know exactly what they look like, what they sounded like, how they walked. There's just no... You 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 if you know you're never going to convince me that you're that person unless you completely step all the way into their persona, their mannerisms, their way of speaking, their look, the whole thing. And at the same time, when you do that, you run the risk of looking like you're just impersonating them. So uh, it's a it's a tough thing to do, but a lot of people do it, and uh, Demetrius Ship does it pretty darn well, I have to say. Uh, I never believed that he was Tupac, but uh, he looks you know, like him. He looks like him. Sounds like him. It's a good performance. And, uh, you know, I, I still think we're, we're coming to grips with who Tupac was, and uh, that's going to continue to happen. So it's not the most dense biopic, but it's pretty good. And uh, it really it hits on a lot of, you know, important uh, aspects of his life. It's long, which I'm grateful for. It takes its time. It's almost two and a half hours long. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to recommend it, even though it, it could have been better, and maybe there is a better one to be told sometime in the future when there's a little bit more breathing room. But uh, all eyes on me, E-Y-E-Z, all eyes on me, the untold story of Tupac Shakur. It's good. Blu-ray and DVD and ultraviolet. Worth checking out. Probably, what? probably more as a rental than an own. But, you know, if you're a fan, you'll probably want to own it. All right, Mark. Uh, we're going to get into the uh, – we're going to get into some some heavy stuff right now. And I'm going to start by asking why – why, oh, why are they re- have they remade Flatliners? Because it's awesome. It's a great film that deserves to be remade. No, look, I love the original Flatliners. It might be my favorite Joel Schumacher film ever. I thought it was really cool. Uh, it was the right moment to get, you know, Kiefer Sutherland and Julia Roberts and all these young actors to, to do something very genre-ish and not like an El- a St. Elmo's Fire thing. I like that. I thought that was a cool thing. It came kind of around, you know, the Lost Boys era when we were having a lot of kind of youth-oriented genre things. I like that. I think the original movie is cool. Kevin Bacon, right? I mean, it's good. But there's no reason to remake it now. There's nothing that says this movie needed to be remade. It needed to be remade now, and it needed to be remade with a cast that no one's ever heard of. Oh, no, that's not keep... No, no, no this not, movie. The new one. Yeah, the new one has uh, uh, somebody. Yeah, exactly. See? See what I I'm forgot her name. Emily yeah. Steve Rose. Oh, that's Emily great. Rose. No. That's great. What's her one? The, 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 the one who came out as lesbian. Uh, uh, she was in the X-Men. Yeah. I forgot her name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See? That's my point. Exactly. That's my point. Wow, Julia wow, Roberts, wow. Kiefer Sutherland, Kevin Bacon. They were, they were a big cheese deal at the time. 
So anyway, going back to that, uh, the original is pretty great. Uh, it, it's you know it's well put together. It's it's a smart film. It's 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 inventive, and it's Joel Schumacher just kind of pulling out all the stops and really having fun with everything. And I I, I miss that. I miss uh, Joel Schumacher as a director. He hasn't directed anything in, in quite a while. So anyway, uh, I'm a fan of the uh, the original um, the original Flatliners, which is now out in a fantastic anniversary edition uh beautiful packaging and thanks to uh mill creek and it's got a blu-ray and a dvd in it and uh is the new one pg-13 by the way i do not know because you know the original was r if they softened that sucker up i'm gonna be really I, upset I, of course they did i why, why even ask yeah probably right well anyway uh new new flatliners edition is really cool definitely check it out skip the new movie probably probably i'll give it the benefit of the doubt haven't seen it yet but yeah Wait, I'm a huge fan of uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And I've been waiting for the scene to come out on Blu-ray. And uh, now here it is from the good folks at Kino Lorber. This is uh, about a Depression-era dance contest, dance marathon. Now, back in the day when everybody needed money, uh, couples were really exploited uh, by entering dance marathons where literally couples would just try to stay on their feet, sometimes for hundreds of hours. And people literally just just drop dead on the floor. It's crazy. Trying to win these dance I, I marathons for the little money they can get for it. I never understood why that was ever a thing. Isn't that weird. Yeah. Actually, you know, it's funny is that I did a uh, I briefly developed a reality show, a dance marathon reality show. In fact, I can show you the book that I bought as research. I still have the book. So we were going to do a show. It was going to be a dance marathon. Yeah. And uh, we were in in pre production on it. We had offices. Doing it. I had the book, which I still have, on dance marathons. Very excited about it. One day, get called into the EP's office, and the EP says, we're shut down. No because um, I think it was Mark Burnett decided that he wanted to do a dance marathon show. So when Mark Burnett, the creator of Survivor, decides that he wants to do a dance marathon show, Ooh. our little dance marathon show is blown out of the water. Now, the fact is, the fact is that Burnett maybe never wanted to do one. He just didn't want us to do one. Or... He wanted to do one and then never got it off the ground. But he's Mark Burnett. He could have got it off the ground. Now, there's also legal ramifications of dance marathons. Sure. You know, it's possible that once we got into pre-production, yeah. maybe it couldn't have cleared the yeah. legal hassles. You know? sure. I mean, people literally died on these dance marathons. They were so desperate for money. Anyway, um, was this Cindy Pollock's first film? Uh, was it? Was this Sydney Pollock's first film? Oh, that would, have been, that would have been a hell of a first film. Hang on, Sydney. Don't yeah, stop the recording. Of, no, not going to. So it stars um, Jane Fonda. Uh, who, uh, <laughs> who's great in it? Who smited uh, Megan Kelly on her show a couple of uh, oh yeah, fast yeah. Uh, let's see, they shoot horses. I know we're wasting everybody's time. No, he did a she. Uh, well, kind of. He did a film the same year called Castle Keep. And get this, did, uh, no, actually that's not true at all. His first film. This is very interesting to our listeners. Uh, the Slender Thread in 65. This property is condemned. He did that first. This property is condemned, uh, which is based on the Tennessee mm-hmm. Williams play. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years later, he did uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Anyway, so great film. Highly recommended. Love it. We got some uh, Warner Archive stuff. Quite a lot of Warner Archive stuff, actually. Uh, two Blu-rays and three regular DVDs. It is, uh, it is golden stuff here. Uh, to start off with, we've got Ray Bradbury's The Illustrated Man with Rod Steiger... It, it really, in one of his most interesting performances, this is on Blu-ray. 
Uh, Claire Bloom. Remember Claire Bloom? Where did she go? Yeah. Just, you know, people from from that era. There's so many actors that just kind of disappear. Uh, this is from 1969, The Illustrated Man. Really, uh, one of the most. If you've ever read the book, it's such an interesting book. And you would think, uh, yeah, that that's not a movie. That's something that only works in your imagination. You just. Uh, you, it, it just, it, there's no way to actually do that. And if they were to do it today, uh, the you know the tattoos would be all CGI'd and they'd be they'd know, move like like what's move. that show on NBC? Oh, where I the was woman's gonna... tattooed. Oh, not Blacklist. Um, the yeah, other one, uh, yeah, uh, the, uh, tattooed yeah. lady of yeah. Marmalade yeah. Land. Exactly, <laughs> tattooed <That's>... lady <laughs> of Marmalade Land. Can you please write a movie <laughs> called The Tattooed Lady of Marmalade Land? That's exactly That's a parting gift to me. Yeah, there you go. I'll do that. Uh, anyway, but because the, this was made in 1969, everything is much more, um, much more circumspect, much more creative, much more of the era. And Ray Bradbury's stuff really all works better in the 60s, I think. Fahrenheit is a, is a better movie than it would have been had Mel Gibson made it now like he wanted to, you know. So, anyway, um... Yeah, it's really, really interesting, and uh, it just has an otherworldly feel to it. That period, late 60s, early 70s sci-fi, you know, this goes in with all that Charlton Heston stuff. Well, there was a lot of... great time. There was a lot of dystopian stuff back then. You know, the Cold War was kind of really heating. Andromeda Strain. Andromeda Strain. a lot of really interesting movies. Yeah. Well, anyway, you definitely want to check this out. It's a smart script. It's really well directed by Jack Smite, who was an incredibly underrated director. Uh, produced by Ted Mann of Mann Theater's fame. And uh, most importantly, for those of us who love movie scores, it has great music by Jerry Goldsmith. Really one of his most interesting scores of the era, along with uh, uh, the Planet Apes. of the Apes, for sure. We also have uh, The Lawn Jake Wade with Robert Taylor and Richard Widmark from the uh, Warner Archive Collection on Blu-ray. Uh, this is this is a, a very underrated Western, I think, directed by John Sturges. Uh and uh, John Sturges, real, you know, we've talked about him a few weeks ago. Real workmanlike, great journeyman director of the t- of the era. Could do big movies. Could do, you know, mostly did guy stuff. Real muscular stuff. Not exactly a, a risk taker like Peckinpah, but he put some good movies together. And uh, Lon Jake Wade is is a just a rock solid western, uh, a, basically dealing with all the all the same moral dilemmas that most westerns deal with, using the frontier as a metaphor for life and. Uh, you know the the idea of the lawman being somebody struggling with their their own sense of morality and justice. Once you put the badge on, you accept a certain degree of responsibility, all that kind of stuff. Uh, really great, and uh, I, I think there's uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in this. Richard Widmark is awesome as always. It's just a great cast, and it's not all guy stuff. You know, you also got Patricia Owens in this, who's very very good. So uh, the Lawn Jake Wade, really good, solid. Uh, Solid morality western, I think. Uh, it's worth checking out. Here are the other ones. Uh, regular DVD-Rs, uh, manufacture on demand, as, as all the other archive stuff is. Broadway Babies, uh, which was made by First National back before they went out of business and then uh, became, I think, First National then was, became part of MGM and then went to Warner. Maybe went directly to Warner. Anyway, Warner now owns all the First National stuff, either by way of MGM or not. But uh, this was a this is a very very early uh, talkie, right right in the in the pre code era, right there 1929-1930, and uh, when everybody had to you know, once you could talk, everything had to be a musical, everything had to be a showstopper, and uh, this is about the uh, three chorus girls who form the Broadway Musketeers, and it's a backstage musical, 
and it's got a really what makes this really interesting is that your prohibition is still in effect so you've got a really interesting prohibition angle on the story and it's definitely a pre-code film a lot of really interesting stuff here it's worth checking out if you love movies from this era Alice White starring in Broadway Babies and then we have Big Business Girl uh, which is also from the same era. It's a little bit later. This is 1931, and uh, it's a, it's a pre-code romance. Not really that pre-codey. It's not really pushing any any buttons and going anywhere that sort of shocks you. It could have been probably a, a post-code film just as easily. Story of a small town girl goes to the Big Apple, tries to make a go of it, gets involved with some guys, and you have all the usual battle of the sexes stuff going on. Uh, it's nice to see a very young Joan Blondell here. That's got some uh, some trivia value. It's worth checking out. Good cast. Loretta Young uh, anchors this thing. Uh, Joan Blondell coming up the uh, coming up right behind her. Based on a college humor story by Patricia Riley and H. N. Swanson. That's what's interesting about this too. Uh, it's based on a college humor story. That and that's when they would like pitch things. That were just they'd run in college newspapers. It's hilarious. Well, College Humor is that website that does a lot of short form, funny content targeted to that age group. Yeah. You know? And then this is my favorite this week. A five disc set, one hundred and one Porky Pig cartoons. Ooh. Porky Pig one oh one. It's great. See, they went with one oh one because that way hundred and one cartoons, you could call it Porky Pig one oh one. You get it? Uh, yeah, isn't that great? So the question is, which Porky Pigs did not make it? You had to cut it off at 101. Anyway, uh, it's great. Look, some of the best cartoons I've ever seen are on the... Keep going. I love this DVD. You're being funny. You're stuttering like the pig. I just love it. Uh, I love it. You could never do a stuttering pig today. It, the whole PC thing is... It, it, sure, the it, Stuttering Association of America would be up in arms. Well, you know, when I was working in entertainment, I was editing at Entertainment Today when uh, The uh, Fish Called Wanda, which we're also going to talk about today in a moment, came out, and uh, the stutterer, whatever their lobby is, I didn't even know they existed. Man, were they mad about that movie. The whole Michael Palin thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. They, they, I'm not sure if they're really mad or if they just see an opportunity to get their, uh, yeah, get their organization course. out there and maybe True. do a little fundraising. Sure, that's what they do. In any case, this is great. Every Porky Pig cartoon that is uh, is worth checking out uh, is on here. They're all in chronological order with commentaries. There are uh, animation scholars who weigh in here. It's just it's just, it's just as much Porky Pig as you... I, I'm, I have not yet shown this to my daughter. I have a feeling she's going to love this. I just hope she doesn't start stuttering just to be funny because she likes entertaining. But in any case, uh, Warner Archive, Porky Pig 101. It's fantastic. You've got to get this. It's just the best thing ever. I'm surprised it's, it's actually it didn't get a uh, kind of a bigger, beefier release. But in any case, I'm glad the people at the Archive were able to, to work on this. They give it really great attention. The, the restoration of these things is perfect. The mastering is perfect. It's fantastic. Not Porky Pig. Look, bug, if, if Bugs, if there was 101 Bugs Bunny cartoons, they would not blow it out. And Bugs Bunny That's was number two. And Bugs Bunny was number one. That's probably true. Yeah. Wade, you know what else is a fantastic way? What is? What, what's Pig? fantastic? Now you may not know the story of Leonard Part Six, because Leonard Part Six has a uh, Leonard Part Six is in the pantheon of horrible, misbegotten films. Up there it, with it's uh, right up there. Up there with the, the Schwarzenegger thing, Last Action Hero, yeah. Hudson Hawk. Yeah, it's right there. Leonard oh, Part yeah. Six starred Bill Cosby, 
and he plays uh he plays like a you know kind of a super agent spy kind of a guy and uh yeah so this is this is a big bloated disaster it was directed by a guy named Paul Wyland and uh yeah Cosby did not re- Cosby's film career did not recover uh certainly Paul Wyland's film career did not recover this thing is just one of the great big bloated disasters of the era it's a great it, it really is a great triple feature with um Last Action Hero and Hudson Hawk, which, by the way, I like Hudson Hawk. Yeah, I love both of those. I do. No, you don't. I do. I love you... Hudson Hawk, and I love Last Action Hero. You're out of your mind. Let me tell you something. In in 2005, they were they were trying to do a... Columbia was trying to uh, put together a special edition of Hudson Hawk, a special anniversary edition. Uh, Did I have ever told you this? Uh, 2005? Uh, okay. So this is when I was I was in uh, I was in, in Manhattan. You remember we, we did some shows where I, we did them kind of remote. Like That's right. And uh, so I was doing the uh, uh, I was uh, picking, piggybacking along. My wife, not yet my wife at the time, was working on a film in New York. So I just went and spent her per diem and hung out. And um, uh, I was contacted at the time by the people at Columbia, and they said, "We really want to do a great Hudson Hawk thing. We really want to do this. We want to we want to have like a cr- two critics arguing over the the merits of the film because it's really kind of redeemed itself in some people's eyes, and they say it's not as bad as it was." Would you defend it? I said, hell yeah, I'll defend it. I love Hudson Hawk. I think it's a great movie. I think it's totally underrated and unfairly criticized. And on the other side was going to be Michael Reschaffen, who's a, who's a very dear friend and, uh, and a member of LAFCA. And Michael and I were talking about, we're like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. This is going to be so much fun. We're just going to really, we're just going to unleash on each other. And we're really going to have a, have a good time with it. And they kept rescheduling and rescheduling. And I was in New York. And they said, well, maybe we can fly Michael to New York. Or can we fly it back to L.A. for a day? I said, yeah, whatever. Okay, maybe we wait till you're back in L.A. But that wasn't the problem. The problem was they simply could not sell the expense of doing any extras on Hudson Hawk at all to their bosses. Their bosses are like, this movie tanked. Why are we why? – just, just blow it out there. Get this thing off our plate. Make a few bucks back. Maybe we'll eventually dig ourselves out of this hole. Who wants to see extras? They could not sell – the higher ups on the idea of, of trying to redeem this movie, and it never happened. But uh, I, I praise them for even trying. That's true. Well, I praise uh, them for trying. Leonard Part Six will not get any sort of treatment. No, it won't. Basically, sure the film not. the film is so bad that Bill Cosby himself told people, "I'm sorry, don't, don't waste your money on it." Yeah. So I would uh, I would just um, pretty much uh, pass on Leonard Part Six unless you just want to see like a legendary bomb of the era. Or you want to laugh at the continued, mis- continued misfortunes of Bill Cosby. Um, Home for the Holidays is uh, directed by Jodie Foster. Wade and I are big fans of Jodie Foster as a director. And here's a film that could have been just another cliched Home for the Holiday, dysfunctional family, getting together, you know, hating each other in Act 2, loving each other in Act 3. But, uh, you know, she somehow makes it real. She makes it real. It's written by uh, W.D. Richter. Now, W.D. Richter, of course, you probably know from... Uh, Hudson, uh, 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 Forbidden Zone. Yeah, I'm still Hudson. Bakru Thank you. So we get W.D. Richter, right? Yep. Bakru Banzai. You get Jodie Foster, right? Great. Yep. The film is way better than it has any right to be. Uh, it's got a great cast. Charles Durning, Dylan McDermott, Geraldine Chaplin, Anne Bancroft, Robert Downey Jr., Holly Hunter. It even has, and, does not, and, and he does not bring the film down, it even has Steve Gutenberg. Yes. So anyway, this is uh, now that the holidays are coming around. Shout Select has done a terrific job uh, cranking this thing out. Big fan of this film. Audio commentary by Jodie Foster. Uh, check it out. Home for the holidays. Underrated. Fantastic. And terrific. Also, 
the Oscar-winning Fish Called Wanda. Who would have thought that you'd ever say the Oscar-winning Fish Called Wanda? Now, Arrow did a great job putting the scene together. They it's just, a really, really nice addition. I mean, my goodness, they've got a 15th anniversary documentary featuring interviews with Cleese and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Kline, who won an Oscar, Michael Palin and the producers. Got a documentary on the film's location. It's got, it's really, they really knocked out of the park with this thing. Highly recommended. Very funny film. It, uh, it holds up. It holds up as just kind of, it's just a, it's just a wacky, crazy comedy with a stutterer and a guy with an eye patch and a couple fish. And it's just a crazy movie and it really holds up. It, it really does not age at all. So Fish Call Wanda, great cast. Won Kevin Klein and Oscar. Really fun. Arrow knocks out of the park with their Blu-ray release. So uh, check it out. Beautiful. And uh, let's get into. Uh, I love Home for the Holidays. Have I mentioned that? No. Okay. Uh, are you welcome to mention it now? I am. I love Home for the Holidays. Be very happy. Can't wait to watch that for Thanksgiving. Uh, so we got some 4K. We got some 4K stuff, Mark. What do you mean? You're not you're not on the 4K bandwagon no, yet, are you? No. Okay. Well, now when it's Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, we're not going to talk about Pirates of the Caribbean first. Actually, let's do that. Let's talk about Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Uh, it's terrible. Really. It's like one of the worst of the bunch. And the two guys that they got to do it, uh, Joachim Röning and uh, Espen Sandberg, who did uh, Contiki, got an Oscar nomination. They were hired to do this now, this is the irony. They were hired to do this because they had made a movie about a boat on water. And naturally, the big wigs over at Disney said, hey, these guys made a movie about a boat on water. They made a movie on water. Pirates of the Caribbean could be in their future. And you know why that is so amazing? Because there, there's no boat actually on water in this movie. Well, there's boats on CGI water. No part of this movie was filmed anywhere close to a body of water. You don't know that. Yes, I do. Oh. So, so why would you get guys? I mean, what? Because they they know how water looks, so oh. they'll make the CGI water look more like real water. Okay. What was the point of that reasoning? Let me tell you something. Contiki and Pirates of the Caribbean. How do you get from point A to point B? Let me tell there. you something. Do you real? Do you realize that, that all the Star Trek films, none of them were shot in space? I know that. But you see, we have water on Earth where, where, where we can shoot with cameras. Too expensive. Anyway. It's easier to get some kid in North Hollywood. I know. Some post, some graphics house in North Hollywood or Ireland. To create Ireland, an ocean create on his computer. Ocean. Yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, look, is this, is, this, uh, is this a nice 4K looking thing? Yeah, of course. They pull out all the stops. Disney does a beautiful job with this. Uh, this is their, their second 4K release after uh, the second Guardians of the Galaxy. So Disney is moving into the 4K world. They're doing a great job of it. It's beautifully mastered, and uh, you, you just you can't argue with that. But the movie just isn't any good. Uh, it's really unfortunate, and uh, Johnny Depp seems to just be phoning it in. Javier Bardem as the, the Captain Thaladar, uh, who's yet another ghosty captain who was actually once a, uh, he was a, he's not a pirate, right? He fought pirates. That's the twist here. It's like, oh, so now he's a ghost who fought pirates. Okay, whatever. Uh, this thing, they, they, you know, they try to replace the original love interest thing between Kira Knightley and uh, what's his name? They try to replace... Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom. They try to replace that with two new young leads who actually have a connection 
to that, right? Oh, a whole, they're probably the son yeah. of somebody. Well, I, won't, I, won't I, I didn't see. I, I refuse. Yeah. I, uh, anyway, they they try to sort of reinvent that part of the movie, and it just doesn't work. They're not as charming, and it just it just it, gosh, it's just so used up. You just feel like they're 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 twisting and wringing this to just to try and get as much out of the concept as they can, and it just doesn't. It's not there anymore. There's no way of making this interesting anymore, and I think this thing tanks so badly that it's it. Hopefully, the the one that's in development right now will go away. Um, anyway, but as long as we're talking about uh, 4K, well, you know what else tanked on 4K, or what what else is on 4K that tanked? Transformers last night. Thank God. Uh, from the Mark Wahlberg era of Transformers, which is uh, is um, you know every it's a new era, right? It's the Mark Wahlberg era as opposed to the Shia era. See, they're sure, two why different, not? right? You know this. I do. Yeah. I've seen a couple of those films. They're yeah. terrible. They're, really, they're just loud. They're just gigantically loud. Insane. So they sent us both the, the Blu-ray 3D and the 4K. Uh, obviously, the Blu-ray 3D is an increasingly obsolete format because there will be no 3D televisions anymore after, uh, as of now. So whatever 3D televisions are out there right now, that's it. And those things are going to probably have a premium on them someday because no, but not have a premium. Well, but you know, somebody who want who has there's let's no say content somebody, for it. There's no content for it. If you have a lot of 3D Blu-rays and you want to be able to watch them, you're going to need to watch them on a 3D television. And once 3D televisions start going kaput, it's those are not going to have any cachet. But anymore. no one's going to be producing 3D Blu-rays. It's no. over. And like, for people who still have them. Like the 50 3D Blu-rays that are out there in the world. Yeah, yeah. In like 80 years, there'll be be somebody who has them, like eight-track tapes or something. Well, anyway, the, a misbegotten idea that deserved to die. The 4K, the 4K, let me tell you, what's really interesting is if you take the 4K Transformers the last night and you watch it on a television that's 200 hertz uh, or 240 hertz, whatever it is, and you amp that sucker up so that it looks like a video game, um, some of this stuff is interesting. Don't pay attention to the story. It's just visually, it'll, it'll make your optic nerve start to twitch. And that's, there's some value to that. Why Anthony Hopkins is in this, I have no idea. I know. I seriously don't. The whole the whole tie-in with like Arthur and the Arthurian legend and the idea they were transformers and visited Arthur and the Camelot. Uh, it's like seriously, uh, what really like that's where you're going now? That's where you're gonna take this? You're gonna you're opening up a can that just it's just so silly, utterly idi- utterly idiot idiotic. And uh, there's extras on here, but nothing all that great. Uh, you know, there's this is three this is three discs. There's a Blu-ray, uh, the 4K disc, and then a third Blu-ray with a bunch of extras on it. Now, Mark. Yes, sir. Here we go. What? Another one? Another one? It's 4K Blade Runner. Blade Runner, the final cut in 4K. Can I say something? I rewatched Blade Runner in anticipation of 2049, which I haven't seen yet. Yeah. Um, You know. Yeah. What? (laughs) I mean, it looks great. Yeah. Visionary stuff. Yeah. This the this this the world is great. The, yes. The physical production is great. Yes. The story itself is great. Yes. The film, good. The film is great. The film is great. When was the last time you rewatched Blade Runner? Exactly just, five years ago. Just now. Like now, now. Yes. You're sitting with me. What do you mean? Yes. Four K. I watched with with uh, uh, Phil and I had uh, a gay movie night. So here's the thing. So Phil and I. It's great. I, I wait. I, I I just let let the let the cat out of the bag. So okay. f- so one about 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 a year ago, Phil had not seen. He's a friend of friend of yeah. ours, Phil. Phil had not seen one of the Hunger Games movies. Okay. Right. And he for some reason he wanted to see it, and I had it, and he says let's 
he says, can I come over and we'll bring some food and we'll watch uh, Hunger Games. And so I called it Gay Movie Night because really two straight men should not be watching the Hunger Games on a Saturday night. Right. Right. So I started called Gay Movie Night. So now every couple of months, Phil and I have Gay Movie Night and where he comes over, we watch a film and then we, you know, order pizza. Yeah. So the last Gay Movie Night. Sure. Was Blade Runner. Okay. So we're talking maybe three weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. The world, the physical production. The music. The music. Vangelis. All that is great. But yeah. the actual words out of their mouth, it's okay. That's great. It's great. I, I was it's looking at it movie. going, I, I looked at Phil and I was like, is this, is this story emptier than we think it is? No, it's fantastic. I just really. So much there. Rebelled against uh, it. It's one of the best looking 4Ks I think I've ever seen. Uh, it's it, especially because it's so dark, and that's where that's where the HDR really, really manifests itself. In is if you can see color and contrast and shadow, and especially in the really, really dark scenes, if that all kind of comes together, and it just you know Jordan Cronenworth, one of the all-time great, oh, it's beautiful, uh, it's gorgeous, yeah, whose son is a great cinematographer now too, was one of the all-time great DPs. Did, did an amazing job on this, and you know the new one, Deacon's going to take home his Oscar finally. You know that. <laughs> I know, but they but they, they say that every time he shoots no, something. There's nothing else that there's no one who's going to beat Deacons this year. There isn't. It'll, it'll be like Moonlight too, like some film shot on an iPhone that's yeah. going to beat Deacons. <laughs> no, Deacons is he's got it this year. He's finally got it locked down, and <laughs> he, he does. He's got it locked down. He's going to win for sure. So uh, honor it, Harrison Ford in uh, Blade Runner: The Final Cut. Amazing use of HDR. Really, uh, one of the best best HDR implementations I've ever seen on a 4K. And then, as if that's not enough. Oh. I know, right? Flaw. Right? Glaw. Even better than the Blade Runner. Really? Yeah, because he's just the grain of the film and everything. We are, of course, talking about the 4K Ultra HD release, the 40th anniversary edition of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, a film that was... More life-altering for me than Star Wars the same year. Oh, it's one of my all-time favorite films. Yeah. Close Encounters just kicked my my patukas that year. You can uh, say it ass, was, Wade. It's my last show. You can say ass. I kicked my ass. It kicked yeah, my ass hard. Wade now, Major. here's the thing. Here's the other thing, too, why Close Encounters was such a big deal. Because when Close Encounters came out, um, I had just made a very good friend in junior high school um, by the name of Richard Libertini, who Mark knows as well. Um, now, my friend Richie, uh, his mom, by sheer bizarre coincidence, is Melinda Dillon, who is the star of Close Encounters. So my exposure to Close Encounters was on all levels. So it wasn't just, oh my gosh, look at this amazing film. It was, oh my gosh, look at this amazing film starring my, my friend's mom, which was a little weird. That had never happened to me before. And, uh, but, you know, um, Melinda, who is still very, very, who's a very dear friend and who kind of like a second mother to me, you know, she and my mother were also very, very close. Um, and I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, try to get Melinda to, to talk about this for the, for the show, which would, is something we'll have to hold on for, for the future. Um, sit down and, and get her to share some of her, her memories. Um, but it's something that she certainly didn't expect. Nobody at the time. You know, Melinda would, had come from Broadway, and uh, she would go on to get her first Oscar nomination for this, and she wound up getting another one for Absence of Malice. Uh, she played the Sandy Dennis role originally on Broadway in uh, Who's Af Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Is that right? Probably should have played that part in the movie. Uh-huh. Did not know that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Melinda didn't... Nobody... I mean, sure, Spielberg, uh, the guy who made Jaws, and we're all excited to be in the new, you know, Hot Kids next movie, but 
Nobody quite expected Close Encounters to be what it was. And it's such a fascinating film. Bob Balaban and Francois Truffaut and, you know, a rare uh, on-screen appearance for another director. Um, everything about this, I still, I still say this is one of Spielberg's best films. Oh, absolutely. Because, because there's so much stuff in it that feels so incredibly authentic. All of that bureaucratic stuff where... Guys are sitting there looking at the radar and all the overlapping dialogue and talking to each other. Great shot. That's amazing. So good. That's amazing. When they're there, you know, uh, when they roll the big uh, globe in on the table to try. I mean, that stuff's just so awesome. There's so much, and there's so many threads to this story. And could we just say, has Richard Dreyfuss truly ever been better? He's great. How many of us from this era, who has not had a dinner with mashed potatoes where you didn't see who who caught on, where you just start carving Devil's Tower yeah, well, in your mashed potatoes to see if anybody else at the table noticed. You've done that. You know you've yeah, done I mean, that. I have, but it, you, yeah. you don't see that much anymore unless you're with people of a certain age. Yeah, I do it every <laughs> single time still. you do. But also, I think the film had a sense of awe that films don't really have today. Well, that's something... Well, when that, I say awe, I mean, I don't just mean, dude, that was cool. I mean, like an emotional reaction of... There's a religious awe. There, well, there was a piece in the New York Times recently talking about how Close Encounters was the first film of the sort of New Age religious era. It, it, it had a spiritual component to it, which I agree with, because there, there are things about Close Encounters that completely and totally violate the rules of traditional filmmaking and still do. And uh, one of those things is that it's, it's, it, it threads together a lot of disparate stories that never actually quite come together. They really don't. They come together to some degree in the climax, but it's not as though Bob Balaban sits down with, you know, and Francois Truffaut sit down with Richard Dreyfuss and Melinda Dillon and compare notes. There's no moment where they all sit down and, and have that big, that big, you know, tie it together, real self-realization moment where everybody who, whose stories were all going to coincide, they all kind of coincide in that big moment. That big moment never really comes. I mean, yeah, things connect at the end, but not in that big kind of melodramatic movie way. And it also, there's no sense of jeopardy, really, in the traditional movie way. There's jeopardy in the sense that they're trying to prevent them from going to the mothership, from being there. They want this to be an exclusively government thing. But that whole sort of evil government conspiracy thing and we're gonna you know like today they would they would start murdering the aliens and then Richard Dreyfus would jump in front and say no and he'd take a bullet in the chest and then he'd die and I mean well, Spielberg know, almost, almost hit that harder in E.T. Absolutely. Right? When, absolutely when the government guys come in they grab E.T. they put they put him in that yeah. medical tent he almost hit the anti-government harder in E.T. Close, Close Encounters has none of that it is it is a it is a completely legendary revelatory unique film and uh, the HDR is is as good in this as anything I have ever seen and uh, this is going to be your reference DVD going forward if you are collecting 4K this is the one you want to stick with this is the one that will look the best on any 4K television this is the one you want to show off at parties this is the deal HDR 4K UHD Close Encounters doesn't get better 40th anniversary includes uh, tons of new stuff. Um, three kinds of Close Encounters featurette, Stephen's home videos and outtakes, and uh, a making of documentary. 30 years of Close Encounters, the original featurette from 1977, Watch the Skies, which is such a kick, and uh, deleted scenes, storyboard comparisons. It's great. Yep, Gotta one of the great this. films as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Uh, Wade. Yep. Let's go from uh... Sublime. To the, well, the, the, the big budget sublime to the low budget sublime. Yeah. 
Legend of the Holy Drinker. Oh, my word. Now, this is a forgotten and absolutely terrific Italian film. I think this might have won the uh, Golden Lion. Did it not? Did it not win the uh, could have. Uh, yes, won Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival. Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer, he's great in it. You know what? You think Rutger Hauer, you know, speaking of Blade Runner, you think of him as that kind of late career Rutger Hauer Blade Runner thing. Yep. But in The Legend of the Holy Drinker, he is terrific. I mean, the film, it's about a uh, Rutger Hauer plays, plays an alcoholic. And in the very first scene of the film, a guy gives him 200 francs, just a stranger, just gives him 200 francs and to get himself out of the gutter. And so this guy, the drinker, played by Rutger Hauer, he is so obsessed with repaying this debt mm. that the whole movie charts his ability to repay this 200 francs. Mm. Uh, I, I, are you Peter Boyle? And young kind of, sort of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that what that was? Um, so, yes, it's definitely an allegory. It's definitely uh, slow-moving. It's definitely ruminative, but it's beautifully shot by uh, Dante Spinati. And I just think this film is just absolutely terrific because, you know what, there's a certain nobility to this guy, even though he's homeless, even though he's alcoholic. He is so insistent upon returning this 200, these 200 francs that you really just feel for this guy and where he came from, where he might be going, that uh, I just think Legend of the Holy Drinker is terrific. Terrific. So I would uh, definitely pick this up. There's an interview with um, uh, Rucker Hauer. It's, only, it's a little less than 10 minutes, but it's still worth it. So that's good. And there's also an interview with the uh, film screenwriter. lasts about half an hour. So I have to say that uh, Arrow, Arrow Academy, once again, knocking out of the park. With Legend of the Holy Drinker, a terrific film, an Italian film, and uh, yeah, great stuff. And then you know what else we got? Star Wars. We have something I've been waiting for forever, forever, since the beginning of time, which is not quite forever, but it's close. Uh, Orson Welles' Othello. And the best thing is it's a Blu-ray from Criterion, and this is just amazing. Uh, We've been waiting for this for a long time. Previous releases of this have not done justice. The story of this film is a legend unto itself, uh, as as it is with many Wells films. Sometimes half of Wells films have more interesting uh, backstory than they do on the screen, which is saying quite a lot. The the coolest thing about this is that there's a... uh, uh, an audio commentary from 1995 uh, with Peter Bogdanovich and uh, our very, very good friend Myron Mizell, who is an Orson Welles scholar, uh, as those of us who know him know very well. Myron is just awesome. I can't say enough great stuff about Myron. He is, uh, he's sort of one of our go-to guys in our LAFCA meetings. Anytime there lacks institutional knowledge about something, and Myron is also an attorney, so anytime anybody sort of needs legal advice on anything related to LAFCA, the room turns to Myron and says, Myron, what do we do? And Myron, like, you know, like Caesar, will uh, bestow on us his wisdom, and then we carry on. I don't know what we'd do without Myron. We also vote in his... Uh, yeah, Myron, Every year, we vote in his uh, home. His, uh... Yes, that's right. And Myron hosts our voting meetings. And, uh, and, and Myron also sends out a list of just about every movie that came out. Uh, you, know what, you know what? That thing know is how... indispensable. <laughs> it's you, insane, you, you go, right? You know what? It's funny because sometimes you get someone like Bob Kohler, and yeah. Bob Kohler, who fancies himself as the man who's seen every film and loves every, and well, loves what but, everyone but hates, Bob hates also, everyone loves. Bob will also send around a list of the top twenty-five films not released in the United States last year. Because Bob goes to tw- like a million festivals, and that helps us how. <laughs> well, you know, it's nice to know what's out there, but it's not, I look not, it up. not for voting purposes. Not for voting. Purposes. I mean, I guess for but but. He, 
Look, even for foreign film, doesn't it need to be released in L.A. for a week or something? Uh, not necessarily. Not necessarily? No, no. We what don't have saying? any rules on that. Our rules are very loose. As is pointed out every year, if you want to vote for Citizen Kane for Best Film of the Year, you, you, you can. You can vote for anything you want. There are no rules. By the way, you know, I have, uh, I've emailed them three times to say that uh, mm -hmm. I'm going out of town. I will not be able to vote this year. Take me off the screener list. Well, And they have not emailed me back. Don't worry about it. Let, let it go? Let it go. Until they send me the emails kicking me out of the group. So bring, yeah, bringing this back around, we love Myron. Myron does a great commentary with Bogdanovich here. Uh, you also get two cuts of the film, 1952 European cut and the 1955 uh, version that was released in the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, they have completely uncompressed 4K uh, audio, and the video is restored from 4K. It's just gorgeous. This is so great. Uh, there's nothing like uh, like Orson Welles' Othello. It is uh, it is a fascinating rare film, and all of its bizarre history is is detailed in these great extras. Uh, you got to get this uh, Blu-ray of Othello from uh, the wonderful people at Criterion, and then uh, also from Criterion. Uh, if we can hit a couple of foreign films here before I, I kind of I want to do some anime uh, is Vampire which is the uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer film that, uh, that many of you have probably only heard of uh, but never seen, and you really should see. This is from 1932. Dreyer is most famous for The Passion of, the jo of Joan of Arc, which is one of the greatest silent films ever made, a film that I didn't particularly like when I saw it in school and then grew to really respect it much more. Uh, Dreyer was a Danish filmmaker, uh, legendary during the late silent, early sound period, and deservedly so, changed, sort of invented a lot of film grammar that has stood the test of time, was very ahead of its time. And uh, this is a wonderful special uh, edition in custom packaging from Criterion on Blu-ray that includes the book Writing of Vampire. And uh, it, is, uh, it is quite a, uh, uh, quite a fascinating um, uh, collection of it, it, just everything that's on here that gives you the perspective on this very unusual vampire film. Uh, really, it's just fascinating. It's just so moody. It's so highly stylized. Um, this is, it includes a uh, digital re transfer of the original German language version of the film from the 1998 restoration. And uh, the audio is chilling, to be honest. Um, it's really great. Uh, it's really, really great. So you should check out Vampire. Um, you, uh, you should be prepared. It's a little bit shocking stylistically, more so than, uh, than it would be if you weren't familiar with what you're getting yourself into. But uh, thank you also to the uh, Janus Films Collection for, uh, for providing this. The relationship between Janus and Criterion, I've still never quite understood, to be honest. You know. Well, Janus is the... Uh... It, but they, I, I, I don't understand who owns whom and all oh, that I stuff. See. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, it's great. Uh, check it out. Vampire with Vampire the movie and writing Vampire together in one custom package. Uh, V-A-M-P-Y-R. Beautiful Carl Theodore Dreyer classic. Now, is he the guy who invented Dreyer's ice cream? No, as a matter of fact. Isn't that interesting? I knew you were going to ask that. And I'm wow. so, yeah, there you go. So the answer is no. All right. Um, going to burn through some uh, anime right now from Funimation. Some very, very interesting stuff here. Starting with... One of the most interesting anime things I've seen in a long time because it didn't require me to wrap my brain around like a whole universe of things that I, I was unfamiliar with. Uh, Regalia, the Three Sacred Stars. This takes place in a little mythical land 
that has been uh, that is on the on the mend from something terrible that happened 12 years prior and uh, the empress is now getting her little kingdom her little fant- fantasy kingdom back in order and suddenly suddenly a giant robot shows what? up I know what? yeah so basically the way I describe this is is this is like frozen meets transformers Transfrozen? No, tra- frozen meets transformers. Transfrozen. Transfrozen. Yes. There you go. I love it. Uh, Regalia, Three Sacred Stars. It's uh, This is actually really, really cool. Uh, great animation, cool kind of, you know, just cool concepts. Fantasy and science fiction and, you know, the whole... Anyway, it's good. I like it. Uh, Puzzle and Dragons X. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack, as is most stuff from Funimation. And uh, this is a bit of a strange one. It's like Alien, except not with Alien. Uh, There's a little boy, and there are eggs, and there are people who tame monsters, and, uh, you know, the eggs don't spit things into your face, but the eggs... Anyway, the eggs are what creep me out in this. The eggs really, really are very disturbing. Were they scrambled or poached? Poached, and that's what really disturbed me because I like poached eggs. Dance with the Devils, complete series. Uh, This is from the people that did Princess Jellyfish, if that means anything to you. And uh, this is a, uh, this is, you know, uh, this is about a girl who meets with a bunch of boys, and then there's a weird culty thing that involves vampires, and it's, you know, it's a thing. It's really well animated, but not my not my speed. Uh, complete series again, a Blu-ray DVD combo pack of Joker game. Uh, this is take this takes this is about eight men uh, in Japan before World War II, and um, it's apparently loosely based on actual history. Um, it, they're kind of like a special team. Uh, I, I don't want to give anything away. There's some interesting stuff related to what brings these men together and how it ties into the lead into World War II. Um, but it's it's it, it's quite conceptually quite challenging and not for kids, for sure. Uh, Sukiuta, T-S-U-K-I-U-T-A. Sukiuta, the animation. Uh, this is, a, again, a Blu-ray and DVD combo pack. And um, whatever. It's kind of like a, it's Josie and the Pussycats with magic and some guys. That's what it is. I don't know. It uh, It's a little bit too Asian pop, Japanese pop. What's it? J-pop? Is that what they call it? Yeah, J-pop. Yeah. And it's K-pop, too. It's too, J- it's too J-pop-y. It's, it's clearly, I'm sure it's a, it's a whole thing that I don't really understand. not really into it. And then the last three, uh, season two of the heroic legend of Arslan, Dust Storm Dance. We've talked about this before. Uh, it's very much Lord of the Ringsy. It continues that. I'm, I'm. It just confuses me. I can't really follow much of it. Uh, part two of Hayuka, the complete series, also Blu-ray DVD combo pack. Uh, this is a little bit more teen-oriented. Um, yeah, it's you know, it's, it's kids doing mystery with their lit their literature study club. I. Didn't really get into it too you much. Know, speaking of Funimation, you know uh, J.J. is going to make uh, your name into a live-action film. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out. I don't know that that really should be done. I don't know if he's directing it or just... Uh, developing it. Developing Why not? It. Someone throws money. Well, here's the thing, though. Well, it's funny because he's doing it for Paramount. You know how pissed off Paramount is 
that JJ, you know, JJ's got to deal with it now. And he keeps making movies for for, for Disney. Uh, for Disney. Yeah. It's funny. I was about to say Fox, Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, he keeps making movies for Disney, and Paramount's yeah. not happy about that. I know. You can blame him. Exactly. I can't, I can't blame him. Uh, and then lastly, uh, part two of uh, Gosick, G O S I C K, which is, uh, you know, uh, anime alchemy and uh, Victorian mystery and Sherlock Holmes meets cyberpunk. And I, you know, there's no way to describe this, but it's cool. And if anybody's going to do a lot, anything I've talked about today is going to spur something live action, Gosick would be it. Um, that's. The, the more likely candidate for something that would be, you know, multicultural appeal and all that stuff. Um, we got a few minutes left, Mark. Let's, yes. uh, let's see. What should we talk about next? What, what your final, your final go run. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Let's well, see. Well, first of all, let me, let me just say something. I, yes. I, I, yes, this is, this is the last time, at least for a year. Yes. That we will be sitting together to do a podcast. Yes. It does not mean it is the last time I will contribute true. to the podcast That's true. or synagogues.com. That's true. So let's, let's, be, Let uh, me, uh, let's be accurate. Let's be judicious about here. About um, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I will do something in Paris. Wade and I have talked about uh, doing like a video podcast, like a video update from Paris, dispatch from Paris and posting it. You know, um, you're a big fan of uh, Takeshi Katana. Right? Uh, sure. Takeshi? Sure. Did you ever see fireworks? No. You never saw this? No. It's freaking awesome. It's not fireworks. It's, it's Hanabi. Yeah, Hanabi fireworks Hanabi. is the, is the they, it was, it, anyway, it's called Hanabi. So uh, Takeshi Kitano's Hanabi, otherwise known as fireworks, because you see they put the fireworks in the background now, but the film is well known enough that they don't feel the need to give that American uh, title anymore. Uh, it's not well known enough. This won the Golden Lion in 1997. This is from Film Movement Classics. Yeah. He's a man. Uh, It's on Blu-ray. Film Movement Classics. Takeshi Kitano's Hanabi. What an amazing movie this is. This is from his um, golden era, really. And uh, this is just a great movie. It has a commentary by uh, film scholar David Fear, a making of featurette, an essay by Jasper Sharp, and it is awesome. It is, of course, you know, about a, a detective who goes totally rogue, and uh, takes on the uh, the yakuza by himself, and and just things go completely haywire and off the off the hook. It's great. It's terrific. Absolutely great movie. And then uh, also want to give a big plug to After the Storm by uh, Kora Edu Hirakazu, who is one of the most interesting directors still working in Japan. Uh, this is also from Film Movement, and uh, this is a. Uh, you know, all, his stuff is so deeply humanistic, and uh, this is a, this is about a a broken family and what happens when a typhoon is about to hit, and uh, you know the father who has you know who's not he's he's, he's you know the, this kid's relationship with his father, his relationship with his mom, his parents is sp- have split up, and how the typhoon sort of brings them together and reveals things. Uh, it's it's really uh, it's it's a it's a pretty powerful movie and it's grown on me ever since and it comes with a short film um, as well so it's it's pretty great. There's a 73 minute uh, making of feature on here after the storm, which was in certain regard at Cannes by uh, Corey Ada, is uh, is a really really a good film. All right, Mark. Um, yes. I want to. As long as we're on the subject, you're on. The, as long as we're on the subject, I know you love this series, don't you? No, I don't. Okay. I don't like any of the Star Wars animated shows. I, I it, it, first of all, it's just not my generation of Star Wars. 
it, it doesn't feel canonical. Canonical, dun 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 dun. Canonical, dun 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 dun. It does not feel canonical to me. However, people love Star Wars Rebels, and this is the complete season three. Uh, I have not seen this because I will not see this, but uh, it's got uh, it's got a bunch of uh, Star Wars people in it. It's got Maul, D- Kenobi, and Maul, and all the all your all the your favorite wacky characters from Star Wars. So yeah, if you like it, let me know. It's on Blu-ray, of course. It looks great. It's all CGI, d- just direct from the computer right to the Blu-ray. So it looks terrific. Uh, I just it's just too much Star Wars for me. I just I I look at the films and some of the books and that's basically it for canon. Everything else to me, even if it is official canon, it just does it's not how I would like to receive Star Wars canon. Star Wars canon. Yeah. Even like the cannons they used to shoot the uh, Imperial Walkers? No, it's a, it's a, uh, William Cannon. Oh. Wait, he was an actor, right? William. No, you're thinking you're thinking of William Conrad who played Who Cannon. played Cannon? Yeah. The detective. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. It's okay. It's a good joke. It's a good yeah, joke. Really. Well, take two. Take two. Uh, Ned and Stacy, the complete series. Good heavens. Uh, Deborah Messing and Thomas Hayden Church before they went on to do other things. Deborah Messing is back uh, in the mix with the new Will and Grace. Which I heard. I have not seen. I heard it's all political stuff. Yeah, that's... It's a lot of political humor. And it's like, it, I, it, you know, here's the thing. Look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I, I dislike the whole Trump thing more than, uh, you know, as much as anyone... But I gotta say, I am really tired of political humor. I just—it's like you know his now to their, you know to their credit, all the late night shows are all getting healthy on Trump, and the numbers the numbers speak. Yeah. If you're getting healthy on Trump, you keep doing Trump. I get it. Yeah. But right now, I'm like, okay, I'm done. Well, it's—I've it, always said that you. You kind of you do your work a disservice. You do your art a disservice if you try to tie it to a particular moment. You want it to be transcendent, and you want it to be timeless. And I, I get it that when politics dominates the moment, you want to be part of the moment by tying yourself to the politics. But you know what? You're, you, then you're not going to last. And sometimes you, you do have to be a little bit farsighted, and you have to think, how is this going to play in 5, 10, 20 years? Do I want this to still play? NBC's not thinking 5, 10. They're, yeah, they're, I know they're not. They're but, thinking that, that but they're if you're, thinking if you're the, the creator, overnights. If you're a creator, if you're a writer, mm-hmm. you should be. Well, you know? if you're his, but here's the thing, though. If you're a writer, he's given you a lot of material. See, here's the thing with Will and Grace. Will and Grace is basically Tim was the one who came up with this, and I'm going to give Tim a total shout out to uh, for coming up with this because I said to him one time, I said, you know, Will and Grace is basically just kind of like a contemporary version of uh, the of, of I Love Lucy. It's like you know, there's there's the redhead, and then the the husband, and you know, then there's the other couple. He goes, yep, I can see the pitch right now. It's uh, I Love Lucy, except the men are gay. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sure that's what they pitched. It's like I Love Lucy, except the men are gay. Ricky and Fred are gay. Are you kidding me? Like, there it is. And that's exactly what Will and Grace is. And just like I Love Lucy, it's timeless because the characters are timeless. So they don't need to have, you know, timely jokes. They can be funny with the characters. We love those characters. So anyway. Or there's also, but then again, there's also South Park. The fact that we're talking. have been doing this for 20 years. I know. And the fact that we're talking about Will and Grace uh, related to Ned and Stacey tells you that Ned and Stacey's not a great show. Uh, Deborah Messing's very good. Thomas Hayden Church is good, but uh, you know what? There's a reason why this was a very, very limited show, and it didn't run for a very, very terribly long time. Uh, like barely a season, I think. I don't even know if it completed its season. But in any case, it introduced them. Um, I mean, you know, we knew them before, but it kind of put them into a different place as actors. Thomas Hayden Church, of course, kind of came of age on Wings. 
as a as a second tier character and Oscar nominated Tom yeah. and Satan Church. Yeah, uh, maybe this was maybe this went to a second. I mean, it's forty six episodes, so it's well, two years. It's two years, right? Reasons. Two years. So anyway, uh, so it got two years out of it. But uh, you know, it's nice to see where they came from. But I wouldn't highly recommend it. And then there's uh, Flipper season one of Flipper. Yay. Season two is also out. They did not send a season two. They just sent a season one, which uh, from nineteen sixty four to nineteen sixty five. Uh, Flipper was when they had all these shows about kids and animals. There were a lot of them, like Gentle Ben, and uh, Flipper was was one of them at the time. And revisiting this show, I gotta say, it ain't that interesting. Uh, I love Flipper. I'm amazed that they were able to get some of the stuff they were able to get on this show. It's well done, but I just, I just, I'm not. The stories don't compel me. I'm not really into it. It's sort of very. It really is very limited by the uh, demands of the era. That said, I can recommend the show because the the cavalcade of guest stars is unbelievable. It's you for, you forget it's like 1964. Holy cow! Everybody was working then. Everybody shows up on this show. Like David Soul shows up. You know, very young pre-Starsky and Hutch. Uh, Jessica Walter, right around the time she was doing probably just before Play Misty for me, which was what late 60s, early 70s, whenever that was. Play Misty. Early 70s, right? Early 70s, so even that's even, you know, she there. Uh, it's great. I mean, everybody shows up on this. It's really, really fun. Um, had a lot. It's, it's a, just watching that alone. Daniel J. Travanti is almost unrecognizable. It's very cool. So that's Flipper Season 1 on Blu-ray from Olive. Uh, worth checking out if you're, if you're a real nostalgia buff. All righty. Uh, let's see. And then iZombie. Um, we're just going to make quick work of this. The complete third season. Uh, this is from CW. It's you know it's a CW show with with the zombie girl. I it's not really all that engaging. Uh, it's kind of trying to piggyback on the whole zombie thing. I don't know. I never really got this thing's appeal. I don't understand why it even made it out of a single season. But. That said, there's a 2016 Comic-Con panel and deleted scenes, and uh, it continues to roll on the CW. Taken, season one on Blu-ray. Now, Taken is uh, based on the movie that Wade and I absolutely love. Can't uh, vouch for the sequels, uh, but the uh, original we love. And uh, here you got Clive Standin from Vikings playing the uh, Liam Neeson role. And, you know, I think this thing worked as a film. It just worked as a, just a big just blast of Politically incorrect badassery, tight and fun, violent, loved it. I don't need to see 10 episodes of The Adventures of Brian Mills. I, I just really don't. So I don't really, I'm not really digging this show. I mean, there's a lot of action in it, I guess, and he plays kind of a younger version of the Liam Neeson character, but still, I, I just think that this was, this is a, a, a classic example of a, of, a, of a TV show that was made as sort of an IP play. Yep, totally. Like if this if if this show is called you know the 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 hunter, you wouldn't watch it, you wouldn't even uh -huh. know about it. But because it's called Taken, it gets written up about. Yep. Right, because it's uh, it's a TV spinoff of the Liam Neeson film. Uh huh. And it's just it's just like it's just it, it's just uh, there's no reason for this thing to be totally mercenary. Mercenary. That's yep. what we're saying. You always call that stuff mercenary, and I give you props. Thank you very much. And this is what this is. So I don't need Taken the uh, season one on Blu-ray. I just need Taken the film. There we go. Awesome. And then last three, we're going to go out on a bang. Well, kind of a bang. We're going to go out on a... We're going to go out on something special. Should I spend so, $950 on tickets yes. for Springsteen on Broadway? Yes. So Springsteen is playing like 12 weeks on Broadway. 
I'm going to be in New York for two weeks, right? Yeah. Starting on Friday. Yep. I have a bat mitzvah to go to. Yep. Through the end of October. There you go. Uh, so Springsteen is starting his whole thing. Mm -hmm. But tickets are very, 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 very expensive. Mm -hmm. And the cheapest I can find on StubHub is $950. Yep. Should I spend $950 yes. to see Springsteen for two hours? Yes. At the Walter Kerr Theater on Broadway? Sure. Less than 1,000 seats. Sure. He's Why used not? to playing in, in, in okay. arenas with 80,000 people. Why not? All right, and then when the heart when calls the heart six movie collection year four. So they finally just jam all this stuff on here. We've been talking about these things. This thing, you know, it's got a very Landony deal. This is executive produced by Michael Landon Jr. had it's very much in the vein of what his what his dad would have done. And uh, you know, Hope Valley and all of the wonderful people, the wholesome all American people who just have all of their little life changing moments there. It's, it's all so wonderful and it's all so just pat, but uh, nonetheless, releasing this one and that one, and they get, they all kind of mix up at a certain point. And Lori Laughlin just doesn't age, which is very strange. I think she's a you know, Lori Laughlin was so get this. She, Lori Laughlin, she, she was on my show. On yeah, e. I know. So I was standing 10 feet away from Lori Laughlin. A, she's gorgeous. Yeah. And she's, uh, she's, Fit and thin and yeah. beautiful and, and doesn't age. But she look. You know what it is? You can if you look at her long enough, which of course is to her credit because you have to look yeah. at her long enough to realize this. If you look at her long enough, she's older than us. I mean, she's yeah. like I think she's like fifty six thousand years old. No, you know what? She's not. No, she's she's late forties. She's late forties. But I'm telling you, for late forties, yeah. kidding me? She's great. And then we also have Loch Ness series one. Uh, this is from ITV. This is an original Acorn TV release here from uh, RLJ Entertainment. Um, I, as you can imagine, this takes place in Scotland, and it's it's kind of a, a small-town murder mystery show uh, set right around the Loch Ness. So don't expect to see, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of monster stuff in here. That's not the whole point. It's a it's a it's a crime show. It's a rural crime show, and uh, it's a, it's good solid you know UK mystery stuff. It's very very good. Um, well done, Laura Frazier, who is the um, detective who kind of anchors this thing, is really really good and uh, really worth checking out. So if you like this genre, you're totally going to dig this. This is Loch Ness series one. Uh, it's very cool. I'm glad they. Uh, Glad they did that. Just don't ex expect to see a Loch Ness monster in it. That's not what it's all about. Boo. And then, Mark, I'm going to take you out with something true to your heart. The Great British Baking Show, you season know what? four. My family, yes. and they do a lot of baking, they love this show. They recommend this show. They will not rest until I've watched every episode of the show. I know. And I've seen none of it. You need to. Why? Shall I send you on your way with this DVD? <laughs> Cake, biscuits, patisserie. Pastry, bread, they bake everything on here. No, you know what? It's Honestly, endless. my family, they love this effing show. They think it's, it's, it's so true. great. Well, as they say, cooking is art and baking is chemistry. That is true. And you've got to get, like, you know, you with, with cooking, which is why I cook and I don't bake. My wife is a baker. You... You don't, you know, you leave it in another thirty seconds or twenty seconds or five minutes. It doesn't matter. It's just gonna, you know, it's pretty as long as the the chicken is cooked, as long as the vegetables are roasted, give or take a minute or two. The grill, whatever you're doing it with, you don't have to be that exact. A little bit of salt, a little more salt, a little bit of pepper. You can kind of play with it. Not when you're baking. 
If you put if you put just one little speck of of, of baking soda in that you shouldn't, if it's, it has one little half a mic, microbe of uh, yeast less than it needs, the whole thing falls. It's terrible. It's yeah, a disaster. And, and the thing is that, like, if you're baking, let's say something simple like cookies, yeah, if you bake it for forty five seconds too long, you can't take it back. No, it's, it's over. It's over. At, at least if you're cooking a big pot of pasta to the and, second. Yes. To the degree. Yes. It's not like, yeah, you know, between 425 and 450 for, you know, anywhere from 6 to 12 minutes. No, there, there isn't. It's you have to have it at exactly this temperature. Anyway, that's what's that's amazing. Right. And I was, so, I, was, I am, was, I don't know why I'm saying was, uh, I'm a good baker. You are a great baker. So uh, I am going to highly recommend, on behalf of Mark, the Great British, great British Baking Show Season 4 continues to roll. Uh, these people are amazing. It is a very entertaining show. Uh, the it, it it really it it just makes baking fun and it really encourages you to uh, to master this incredible scientific skill that is baking. I I'm a little bit inspired, still intimidated, but a little bit inspired. So we will do it. All right, Mark. With that, we wish you well. Tim and I will hold the fort down for you. We will communicate with you. We'll do Skype things. We'll have all kinds of fun. Go and visit our sites. Uh, digigods.com and cinegods.com also sign up for the Cinegods Facebook page and tell us what you think of the new site send us suggestions what has to change font bigger more photos this that the other thing tell us what you needed to do we are we are ready to make all the changes necessary it's going to be a lot of fun going going forward all right everyone wish mark well mark i've had a few but then again too few to mention I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption I planned each charted course each careful step along the by and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. And now, as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to think I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way, oh no. Not me. I, I did it my way.
我。